Hello, this is Pam Electric Ghost. You're on, on the show right now. So, Kyle. Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah, you're coming in a low, low um, phasing. Phase, hold on. Hello? Yeah, I'm not hearing you now at all. Can you hear me uh, yeah, now? Yeah, now I got you. So oh, that's cool. Okay, so let me, like, we're recording, so I'm going to start it again with a little brief intro. This is uh, Fam Like a Ghost. I'm a podcaster on Anchor FM, and we have Insidia, um, and you're a musician producer from Sheffield, England, right? Well, yeah, from Sheffield, England. So, um, yeah, I sent you the questions, and we're going to start with the questions I sent you. And I just wanted to kind of do a, a little, um, a brief a little mention. I, I had interviewed uh, someone you collaborated with. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> previously. So, um, so we'll talk about that when we get to the song. But, um, yeah, we'll start with the questions. Like, like, what age did you get into music? Um, it's a good question, actually, because I, um, I sort of, took interest in music around the age of about eight because uh, me, my dad and my uh, great aunt were both really into music and I was brought up in uh, a house basically with lots of like 80s rock, 90s rock uh, and I got, I think it was about the age of eight, yeah definitely, then I got my first guitar but I didn't really uh, get into it until I was about 12. Like properly. So you've always like been into acoustic rather than electric guitar, or do you play both electric and acoustic? Uh, I play them both. I I say that I prefer different reasons. Like the acoustic, I think it sounds beautiful quite naturally. Whereas if you ask me, an electric is easier to play and a lot louder. <laughs> yeah, I guess you just have to like. Unless you're like Curtis Mayfield or or Hendrix, like you, you can get you know or Clapton, you can get more technique into a uh, electric if you're that kind of level. But the acoustic kind of shows yeah. shows like what you can really do um, without a lot of tricks on it, unless you throw a lot of pedals. <laughs> you can always throw pedals on a guitar, but um. So so when you started. When, what made you decide to write your own music? Because some people get into music and they, you know, they work with orchestras or they become studio musicians. They, they don't maybe write their own music. What made you feel like you wanted to write your own music? I'm not hearing you. You dropped off. But uh, yeah, it started when I was in a band with, uh, with a friend of mine. And he'd write like quite a few like riffs and stuff. Yeah, a little bit of that got cut off, so I I, I missed the first part. It's okay. I'm gonna. Um, what happened was uh, basically, oh, it got cut off. Yeah, a little bit got cut off when you first answered the question, so maybe start at the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's okay. I'm gonna head downstairs, so I'm forced to sit router. So that might help the connection a bit. Yeah, I mean, I can okay. hear you now, but I just I, I missed okay. the first half of your answer. 
Uh, no worries. That's it's fine. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm ready whenever you are, and I'll I'll get the answer. But the question was like, um, when when did you decide that you wanted to write your own music? Like, what made you decide that you wanted to do like uh, original music? All right then. Yeah, I can answer that. So uh, basically, the the reason that I started like writing my own like original music was mainly for just expression at first so that I could uh, just you know I didn't exactly put stuff out when I first started writing music I just kept a lot of it like it was more writing like for myself personally than it was to actually have anyone hear it so, so yeah I see that you actually started to go for a degree in music so you you really took it seriously if you want to get a degree so and I've I think it. Yeah. It. yeah I finished it last year the degree uh this project was started for it but it, this project's got a great weird story <laughs> behind mm -hmm. it but uh yeah um I went for a degree um I, I did I did my um like college course in music and then I went for a degree and uh, there were a lot of really good people that I met along the way doing that. All all of them were like really, really good musicians or producers. But it was it was like an all rounder sort mm -hmm. of course. So you did a bit of mixing, a bit of learning how to put a show together, some live performances, writing, and you know music history stuff like that. What 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 school did you go to? I went to uh, it. While we're doing it at college, it was uh, it was called Norton College, but eventually it all got moved to uh, Hillsborough College. So, mm -hmm. what, what the the course that I study on is currently the one that's run at Hillsborough. But it's I didn't go to any actual uni for it. I just went on to higher education at the college that I originally studied at. Mm -hmm. So this the project in Sydney was that actually part of your degree? You got your professors to like make that like a coursework. Um, it it what was oh hold on a second. Um, basically what happened was I was in my final year, and we were given the um uh, a final final major project, and you could choose whatever you wanted. But it, so basically, if you wanted to do composition, you had to write a full album. Mm -hmm. Um, but it had to be a concept album. So it had to have a theme that, and everything, and you had to really get in depth. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you were to put on a show, if, you know, you could put on a show, but you'd have to get, I don't know what the criteria were for that, because I didn't do it, I did the album. But um, I ended up uh, getting one of my friends in who sings uh, called Rose, and we uh, did this album together for uh, my degree. But... Like I put it after um, after the degree finished, even though the project was just created for that degree, just for that album, uh, we decided that we wanted to continue and take the project further. So is um is Rose Regina Fay or is that a different person? No, that's a different person. No, that's a different person. Regina Fay. Yeah, so the first project he worked with a Rose. Yeah. Yeah. That is, is, that, is that project, was that released on the Spotify? It's not been released because um, 
what is it? We were we were planning to get some videos done for it, mm-hmm. but due to obviously you know what's going off in the world, it's quite difficult to get something like that. Yeah, to get that together, and I'm a bit too attached to it. I don't want to like put it out when it's not got you know the stuff that oh. complements it. So you got to bring it to the studio. You got to master it. Do you have to do more overdubs, or is more work you got to do on it? Um. It's all written, but I don't know, back when we record, I didn't have all the like because I recently like acquired some uh, Spitfire software, mm-hmm. and we back at the time we were using really cheap patches for like the orchestras that are in it, and oh, I mean okay. you can make them sound good, but I, I just wasn't that good with them at the time. So going back, redoing all that, and uh, just getting it mastered properly. Oh, so you like do it with like 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 deeper plugins or you know, doing it with uh you know soft synths and be able to add or add the orchestral instruments that you really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just make it a bit more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting because um I I have it leads me to like you said you had this collaboration with Rose and we haven't heard that but um, Dior, uh, your single from 2020, is with Regina Faye. Is, she's an artist that we we talked to earlier uh, this year. And, yeah. um, we talked to her actually twice on some of the projects she's working on. So maybe we uh, could talk about that song and how that came about, how you collaborate with her in 2020, given what's going on with Corona. How, how do you guys do that? How did we do that? Well, it, I'll tell you what, it was it was a lot of what everyone were doing in first lockdown in UK, which was Zoom calls and frantic text messaging. <laughs> so, like, what were it? We, we basically, like, uh, we'd met each other on, um, I think it was Submit Hub, uh, somewhere along the way on there. And it, when I just put out Into Infinity, and I think she'd just put out Kaleidoscope. Yeah. And we sort of, started talking because we had this mutual respect for each other's work and eventually the collab just sort of came from there but it, it was her that came out with this um this idea with the actual like core of the track and she was like oh I've got this idea for this song I've got um a chord progression and I think I've got some lyrics do you want to work on it with me so I got onto like a um, zoom with her and she starts mm-hmm. coming out with all this, these lyrics that are in like an ancient language. And I'm not going to lie to you. At first, I think she could see it on my face. I was missed. I didn't know what was going on. Like, <laughs> I'm like is this, is this, are you serious? And, but it, I think that in all that track turned out really good. Yeah, it's a really beautiful track. You know, I like her work and it does work well with your work. I mean, you guys have a synergy to your sound yeah, i can see you guys doing like more yeah um, I, i'd love to sorry about that if you if you heard any of that notifications came through on my phone that's okay i didn't hear it oh, that's good that's good <laughs> I, I was immediately like ah shit no no you luckily this app somehow keeps that from coming through so it's good. <laughs> that's good yeah um but yeah I, I get what you mean like i'd like to work some more with her definitely but at the moment, I'm just, like, currently wanting to just, like, I'm practicing a lot of, like, composition exercises at the minute, especially with orchestras. 
And yeah, I feel like, yeah, you did like a soundtrack work type of song with like the dream is dead. Yeah, that that was for um that was actually for a friend's short film. But, oh, so it's actually on an indie film. That's actually a soundtrack to an indie film. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a, like a, yeah, it's on one of them. It, I think it got shortlisted at a film festival. Yeah, awesome. like, I think I I was well chuffed when I heard about that because I I didn't I don't know it was one of those things that are released and some people were like this ain't as good as the first one and I was like ah damn so well I I like it. I, I well I, you know truth be told I'm a I'm an electronic musician I initially started with like soundscapes or sound paintings I didn't have vocals but then yeah. I kind of got into uh, you know, void coders. I got into rolling VT3, VT4s and yeah. I started, started creating characters with them. And I, I, I don't like using like autotune. I like to use the void coder to create characters. Kind of like the way Prince created Camille. Um, yeah. The idea of using it to, to do like, you know, do something other than yourself, kind of get into a Ziggy Stardust kind of way. But I, I did start like with just atmospheric soundscapes. So I appreciate like your songs like Colors, and in the dream is dead and into infinity so that's kind of where i started with my synthesizers because i'm a hardware synth guy i have tons of rollins and modes and stuff like that so so i see you you have acoustic guitar you have electric guitar but you use like midi controllers with like soft synths for your synth stuff yeah yeah uh, i like to uh, i'm what i'm trying to do is sort of like get all like the electric guitar and the acoustic guitar and mix it in with the uh software but I'm having to learn the software more than I am the guitars because I, I grew up playing guitars mm -hmm. but, you know but I found that interesting when you said that um, you know you, you use a vocoder to create like characters because I have lots of like ideas sometimes about let's say like um, con like concept albums like The Wall yeah yeah I'm and, deep into that <laughs> yeah that's what the the album that I did for the, the uh, final project was. It 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 was basically just um, it was basically some someone's journey through five stages of grief, and I thought, right, you could turn that into a natural concept. So, well, you come from a place where the rock opera was kind of born, like with like Pete Townsend and Tommy in Quadrophenia. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that that growing up, I'm in my fifties, you know. Uh, Tommy was a revelation to me. You know, I, I, I got into music. I, I bought it on vinyl back when vinyl was, you know, showing my age. And I was just enamored with it. I kind of wore it out. And I said, we yeah. this is, and I just got into Pink Floyd. I got into Yes. I got into Genesis with Peter Gabriel. And I just like, I like the idea that with, with music, you could tell a story and you could do these rock operas or you could do these progressive concept albums. And uh, I've been, in that zone for like 20 years writing stuff like that that's where i live but um it's interesting to find somebody you know in this age that's not just trying to do spotify singles you know yeah <laughs> you know, you're actually trying to do something that's kind of like not not the hippest thing to do today but but i think it's a cool everything's allowed today everybody does everything everybody mixes all the genres and it's cool to see somebody like yourself uh you know going into that form because that's something I really, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I don't know why, but it's just it's something that's always appealed to me. Because, like, 
I mean, sure, I'm, I'm likely to at some point collaborate with people and just drop a, a single, but I've always like, when you listen to an album, it's a start to end thing, isn't it? So it'd make more sense to have it as a story that's all going all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I started, you know, like, you know, I, before before I got into Tommy, you know, I was a big Beatle head, you know, a Beatle fan. I was, yeah. like, I was like, when they when they got the Sgt. Peppers and then, you know, they, they got the idea that the studio is the instrument. And, yeah. you know, the George, that George Martin style recording kind of like, you know, the kind of Phil Spector kind of concept that you use the studio to like build something that's other than just a live performance that you can use it like you know Monet uses the, like the painting that you can build a sound painting and yeah. you know Pink Floyd took that even further okay, yeah. but the, the idea that you can do that you know that's why I'm in the synthesizer that's why I have like Moogs that's why I have like Roland Jupiters and stuff because it allows you to build stuff like that you know the hardware sense kind of harken to that age where people would just get enamored and totally lost in their and they're, you know, in their subtractive synthesis machines. And that's how I kind of, I feel that, that that the authenticity of like a mini Moog or Jupiter or an Oberheim, that those type of instruments lend themselves to that kind of, you know, sound. Design. Yeah, I get you. I mean, I was listening, just before I joined this, like, uh, I was listening to her, and this is a, I think she's a good, but Grimes, Oh yeah, Grimes. She's really into electronic. Yeah, yeah. I'm, new I, was to, uh, I was just like, this. This is mental. She does a lot of interesting stuff with electronic music. You know, I, I'm, I'm a very much into anybody that takes kind of like you know, kind of that Brian Eno craft work kind of electronic, and then takes it to the future. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of people. You know, they got that kind of that grime sound, you know, there's like, she's got her own kind of genre. People try to emulate her um, kind of like the way they emulate, you know, some of the classic synthesis, like, you know, Emerson, and even Townsend. I think Townsend's one of the greatest synthesizer players ever because he actually took the instrument and looked at it in a different way than a keyboardist. You know, he kind of took that modular synthesis that everybody does today. I mean, Pete was doing it all over, Lifehouse, you know, yeah. to get into the idea of Lifehouse, um, which is who's next. It's all these experiments with modular synthesis, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and just that that kind of stuff is like you know, and, and guitar players when they approach synthesizers, I think they they come up with different things. You know, like the way Eddie Van Halen approached Jump on an Oh yeah, it's like it's totally a. Di- I love when I see somebody that's not like a piano player or a keyboardist get into a synthesizer because they always come up with something new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, I, th- I think that like, um, what was it? There was, uh, I don't know if you've heard him, but Nick Gordon, like, I think he's pretty much just a guitarist that's gone over to like synthesizer. And mm-hmm. he, he works mainly in like films and, uh, well, not even films, but video games. Yeah, and he's yeah. video games are a big place for us now. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's just—he's absolutely crushed it. I mean, I think I, I remember buying uh, this game called Doom 2016, just popping it in and just hearing yeah. his soundtrack come on, and I was just like, "Oh, 
this has put me in the mood that this game wants me to be in straight away. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just interesting because with the limitations on how artists get paid now, you know, the game platforms give, you know, people who are doing atmospheric music or doing synthesis, it gives us another place to go. Yeah, you know, I agree. Because we can take take these big concepts and you have a lot more space to w- work on a game. It was hours and hours worth of music that they need. Yeah. And, and if you're a composer, it gives you a place. It's like where, where else in the market could you put that many hours worth of work? Into, it's not only that, you but know, you, than- you can sit down and you, you're at, you're not actually going to not have people telling you to not overthink it. You're allowed to overthink it if you want. That's what... Yeah, yeah it's great. It's like doing a soundtrack to a film. But, you know, these little mini films, which are video games today, are like mini films and TV shows. And so they, they need a lot of they need a lot of content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, that's the thing, though. There's so many like good like soundtracks and that. More, There's been more so- soundtracks that I've enjoyed more than like actual albums that come out these days, if I'm honest. Yeah, because people are so limited in what the market will bear, you know. I, I, I'm always getting in trouble because all my songs are over six minutes, you know. And and then I have I you know, when I work with a with a record company, they're always like they always cut my stuff down. You know, like I, they'll put it out, but they'll take a seven minute song and drop it down to two in two minutes and forty seven seconds. Nice little radio and I'm like so yeah. Yeah, and I'm kind of like, okay, well, yeah, to get some money, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I, mean, I got hundreds of songs, so I was like, fine, I'll let one or two songs get manipulated like that. But most of the time, I I would just put them out the way I want them to be, uh, just because you know, I don't want somebody taking my full idea and then just you know, chopping it. Yeah, up. I get because <laughs> it's one of those things, though, isn't it? Like, I I guess you, you've got to be ready to compromise sometimes, but. There's there's other times where it's like no you can't really cut this song up because no. you're compromising what it is then. Yeah, I mean like that's telling like Pink Floyd to tear apart like you know wish you were here and he shortened things it's like why would you do that yeah. you know it's a it's a it's an idea like you can't shorten things in Tommy you can't shorten Quadrophenia you know you can't go look at like Gen- you know Peter Gabriel Genesis like Lamb Lies on Broadway. You can't shorten those songs. Yeah, they're part of a suite. Exactly. You know, they're part of an idea, and you know that's why I love vinyl, and I like that the kids are getting back into vinyl because vinyl forces you to listen to the whole project. Yeah, from start to finish. You can't skip around like a playlist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah, that that was something that took me by surprise. The vinyl revival. I'm not going to be like liar or but because. I've got friends that are like younger than me, and they'll they'll post on like their Facebook or their Instagrams. Look what I got today! And it's like Queen Two on vinyl. <laughs> I'm like, man, yeah, they're all excited. like my daughter. You know, she's 20 and she's going back and getting like you know songs in the key of life on vinyl. Yeah. And you know, we initially got a cheap vinyl, and then we went crazy and got some Austrian hi-fi set with two amps and stuff. But it's like you know. It's like you know, there's there's a lot of cool stuff for audiophiles, and it gets you back into the core. Like if you listen to vinyl, then you go, it's like, well, I got to get a tube amp. Yeah. Well, I got to get a good you know, receiver. I got to get really good. Then it gets back to the quality of what, as musicians and producers, we want to create quality music, and then people are getting this compressed 
thing that goes onto an MP3 player oh, or their phone. Yeah, it's not what you wrote. Yeah, I get you. I get you on that. I mean, it's like, a, um, I think as well, like, speaking of vinyl, I've, I've noticed as well, like, over here, it might just be over here, but a lot of people are, like, using analog mixing again and recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of mixing is big here, too. And people are getting Neve boards. They're going and finding Neve boards or they're buying and paying the money to get a Neve board. And, uh, you know, just because they want to do it on tape, you know, the place, you know, in, in, you know, in Louisiana, in Tennessee, there's studios that are actually running tape. Yeah. And, they, and they're running old analog board, boards. And it's like people, like if I got my mini mode and I got a Jupiter 8, I don't want to get compressed by some digital, you know, um, platform. I, I want to get it on the tape. Yeah. You know, and, and get it recorded so I don't lose the reason why I've got like a profit five. Yeah. Is because I want that profit five sound. I don't want a plug in, you know, that not that people, you know, it makes it affordable so people can get it. But if I've got one, I want to capture it the way it sounds, you know. Yeah, I get you. It's like, yeah, it, it kind of like makes it sort of, it's like I was saying with like, could be even worse can even end up on youtube it's like the compression just takes away some of the uh the actual sound yeah. and the timber of the instrument yeah you can't get some of these really great guitars you know if i go back and i listen to like the allman brothers yeah or i go you know listen to I hear that hammond v3 you know going through the rotary you know speaker and uh, the vinyl i can really hear it and then sometimes they depend on the mix on some CDs or whatever, it's got it's gotten taken away. Yeah, know, and it's not there. And I'm like, and I go back to my vinyl, and it's like I can hear everything that I originally heard. And I'm like, you know, that's what I want. <laughs> and that's way you know. It's, I think I got my daughter into that because she's like, she saw the difference. I've been able to show her like, listen to this, and then listen to that. Like, listen to Purple Rain on vinyl, and then go listen to it on your MP3, and then see see what it, what the difference is. And she's wow. Yeah. And then you know, then she just got hooked. I mean, Purple Rain is as good, a, as good an album or song, even as any, to show off like the difference because that that track's just got such a mixing wise. I think it, the vibe of it, it's just it's yeah, well, it was live recorded. It's a live recorded kind of overdubbed thing that you know that's why that whole album has that kind of vibe. There's a lot of stuff that was actually live recorded in a, like a truck. They actually took a like a mixing truck and had it at like at uh, uh, Avenue. I think it was maybe even First Avenue in Minneapolis. They recorded a bunch of stuff live, and then they overdubbed it. And I think like the Who did did does that a lot. I mean, I mean, well, they did it a lot on Who's Next. Is a lot of stuff was like live recorded and overdubbed, and that's why it sounds you know the way it does. It's like I, I tend to like that process. I tend to do a lot of my stuff in that way because I think. If you live record something, you just and then you overdub on it, it just has like a feel that you can't get from like a sterile type of recording. I think yeah. That, and I've always been very impressed with bands that do that and I've always tried to, you know, keep that kind of vibe to my music. I mean what what it makes me think of is as well is like obviously if you're doing a live you get you're gonna get a bit of the atmosphere. As well as the the actual room sound, the room reverb itself. Yeah, that's what you're going for. You're trying to get that, you know, because it's like you know every room sounds different. You know, 
you speak, if you're using, you know, different types of, of speakers, you know, in different amps, you're, you're picking up that sound and you're picking up the, like, the, the mistakes, you know, you're picking up the little clicks and clacks and different things in the room and, and all that kind of adds to the sound, you know, that's why, you know, people sometimes, you know, they had the open mics, you know, running stuff and why you mic drums a certain way. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the kind of the art of that, you know. You went to school for it, you know what I mean? But there's a whole art to, like, sound engineer, you know, is part half the equation yeah. on your album. You know, is getting that right sound and you get a really great engineer, you know, you totally can yeah. the record. I mean, it's like as well, um, it's like you, on topic of, like, live recordings, it's like you said, um, you can't really, you can't really fake it with them. So if there's a mistake in that live performance, you know it's there but it also it adds to it yeah the character like a lot of people forget like Hendrix he live recorded pretty much everything you know you know in the open studios and he would just you know do so many different variations and you know even Clapton and all these guys you know they used to record kind of as bands you know the whole band they mic the band and they run through it and every all these variations you know you get the box set and it's like wow there's all these variations and it's like, which one is the best one is that they kind of had a feel. It's like, well, they felt this one was the best one, but you know, the, the mistakes and all, I mean, that's the part of the classic yeah. age of music is you didn't get, you didn't let your computer tell you that the BPM was off. You didn't let you tell you that you were like in a different key. You, maybe you did a key change by mistake, but it actually brought oh, man, I've, had, I've had nightmares you know? with stuff like that. You know, like, it's like you said, no. You know, when you're in the studio, it, the the computer will tell you, won't it? Every little detail. If so, yeah. uh, I'm not gonna name any names, but I was in this band once, and I don't know how many times I tracked this solo for them. But they were like, there'd be like one little note at the end of this, like furious, like one minute long solo. It was just oh, awful to play. It really hurt. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think they take the life out of music. But if you listen to some music today, they've got it. Exactly. That's perfect. It. And there's something, there's something wrong about that sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just inhuman. I wouldn't expect like to see a drummer live play all notes on his kick drum at a certain velocity while he's doing some silly fill at like 220 beats per minute. I wouldn't expect it. But you get that a lot. No, you should. You should. <laughs> you, you get it a lot now on actual studio recordings. The point where you're like, this. Wait, probably they would never let a Mitch Mitchell or or a Keith Moon. They they wouldn't be allowed to play the way they play, you know, because the producer kept to keep on stopping them, you know, because they didn't keep time, all the time. They kind of roll through the whole song you know if you listen to keith moon he's pretty much soloing through the whole song yeah he's not keeping he, he, time pete pete's actually keeping time um and so that 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 type of thing is not allowed today um because people are so kind of you know you know retentive on on the beat and i was like you can't be that you know i think that's taking the life out of music you know because it's not letting people be musicians part of being a musician is you got to be willing to take risks, you know, willing to kind of go off and feel it. You know, a lot of it's feeling. I'm an African-American musician. Most of what we do is like jazz and blues and, and funk. Yeah. It's all feel. It's all hard. And I feel 
you might not get it the same way every time. I mean, we can kind of get in that same zone all the time, but it's like, it's yeah, how I feel it's today. Not, you know, it's what like thinking about and everything. <laughs> like, I mean, you could give, I feel like, yeah, you could give, like, say, a happy guitarist, say, are you into Gary Moore by any chance? You ever heard of Gary Moore? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I love. Yeah, I feel like you could give, like, say, a guitarist who's had an exceptionally good week, you know, that main melody line from that, and then give a guitarist who's had an exceptionally bad week the same melody line and expect different results. Different, you know, melody. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I mean, look at me. Look at Neil Young. I mean, Neil Young. Is what I loved about him is he he was willing he could go and do a perfect Nashville country recording yeah. where everything's perfect, right? But yeah. then he could go with Crazy Horse and do something yeah. tonight's tonight, where it's like it's off key, it's the notes are off, the rhythms off, everything's always like it's almost like it's falling apart. He called it the ditch. He like he created these albums called a ditch trilogy. He said, you know, I did you know all these big Nashville albums and so I want to take mm. it to the ditch." Because I wanted just to kind of reinvent the sound. He kind of like the godfather yeah. of punk. You know, he kind of came up with this idea of that you could be sloppy, you could be kind of pain-driven and have that reflect kind of like the Velvet Underground or Big Star. He had this feel, and there's nothing like that. You know, a lot of bands, boy, I guess Nirvana was like that. Nirvana, Nirvana was, was definitely, I mean, Scentless Apprentice sticks out to me as proof of that. I, I don't know if you've uh, that track. Well, yeah, I got all their stuff. I mean, can, I was kind of drawn to Nirvana because I'm a big, you know, Crazy Horse fan. I said, well, these guys are kind of pulling a Crazy yeah. Horse thing, you know, and they call it a grunge, but it sounds like, you know, what, what what Neil's been doing for years. But it's like, I like, even Neil appreciated yeah. it. They were friends, you know. He heard that Crazy Horse sound in what Nirvana was doing, you know, and then it's got that punk aesthetic, you know, and that's why I've drawn to bands like Black Flag and Who's Could Do, um, you know, they're kind of the replacements. That, that kind of, that's always good to have a little punk yeah. aesthetic, you know, bands like Joy Division, Television, you get this kind of, kind of feel. It's like a rhymey sort of energy I, in yeah. it, like, you get what I mean, with like, yeah, well, Trent, Trent Reznor brings that with sense, you know, I, I was always, I, I saw Nine Inch Nails at Woodstock, you know, that famous performance where people were throwing mud mud at Green Day. I was actually physically there. Um, and that night, you know, the same day that the Green, Green Day was getting thrown mud on him, Trent Reznor did this amazing yeah. set and showed how powerful you could be with, like, analog synthesizers and guitars. And that you don't have to be melodic. You can be have yeah. a punk feel. And that, that, to me, was like, the way Joy Division was, is they had this kind of, kind of, kind of early goth, you know, neo yeah, I get uh, Later, yeah, that, that kind of feel is so cool, you know. It's as cool as yeah. the blues to me. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, I mean, can for it. me, uh, what were it? It's like the stuff that I really found that attracted me to, uh, say, Nirvana, it was a, a lot of people say that they don't like Kurt Cobain's voice, but I'm like, how can you not? It's so... It, He's got a. He's got. He's, he's not the best singer, technically, but the emotion that he can bring through, even though it's a lot of like pain and hurt, it really gets its hooks in you. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it, it, 
it's deeper than Eddie Vedder. I mean, everybody thought Eddie Vedder was doing that, but you know, Kurt was like really the, yeah. the king of grunge. You know, Kurt was the one. I mean, Eddie, you know, without Kurt, Eddie became the big guy. But 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 you know, Kurt always his songs have a little more authenticity, kind of like, a, yeah. like John Leonard or something. He had this feel that like, man, that guy's got got it. He's got it. You know, yeah. you know. And that's 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 what you want when you hear that kind of thing. You know, you want that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I guess like most people, it was when I first listened to Smells Like Teen Spirit when I was going through my angsty teenager phase, and I was like, "He's literally me," <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's the whole thing about punk. It made you feel like, well, yeah, maybe I could do that. You know, that's when people saw the Sex Pistols and they saw the Clash. They were like, "Wow." I can go do that. And you get the bands like the Ramones and television and joy of people feeling like, Oh, we can, we can, we can actually, we don't have to yeah. be Keith Emerson. You know, we don't have to be Jimmy Page. We don't oh, do love a bit of Jimmy Page. Yeah. Yeah. We can have, we can have some passion and we don't have to be like a total yeah. virtuoso, you know? I mean, but with, yeah, within that, though, you can get to be a virtuoso. Oh, yeah, definitely. Job. I mean, I think virtuoso as a term, it's, it gets confused a lot. Uh, it's like yeah. by, I mean, most modern accounts, like let's say someone like Hans Zimmer, he's a virtuoso, but you don't catch anyone calling him a virtuoso. So it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, I've noticed that the tip, the, the, the term's dying a lot now. I think it was like, I mean, it's a bit of like nerdy knowledge, this, but I think it was mostly like in romantic period of music, like back in like the 19th century, where it was like a really popular term. Yeah, Bach, Bach yeah, and Beethoven, all the classical guys, you know, they're, they're probably the, you know, but you get a guy like, you know, Hendrix to me, yeah. like Sun Ra or Coltrane, you know, in jazz. You can kind of see it, like in jazz. You can oh yeah. You, get, you listen to the Coltrane trio. You listen to Miles Davis, and you know, kind of blue. You listen Giant to that stuff, like man, like even like yeah, yeah, Sun Ra. I mean, I'm I'm a big Sun Ra fan, but they're like this kind of unheard, kind of unsung jazz outfit. They were like the kings of like bebop, and then created like this kind of funkadelic space jazz before funkadelic yeah. was created. With like space in the place, and that that kind of stuff to me has always mm. appealed to me. Is like the people, the unsung bands like the Velvet Underground and Big Star and Sun Ra, bands that people later become like in the canon, but at the time they were mm. playing, people didn't appreciate them. You know, they, I always find a lot in in finding those bands. Um, you know, because hey, luckily the recording gets saved. Uh, sometimes oh. the connection drops it off, but I think we just had a connection drop. Ah, uh, yeah, I think that we did because I, I was just I was listening to you talk, and I was like, oh, it didn't seem like it was the end of the session. Uh, but we were on to uh, we were on to um, what were it? I think you'd mentioned that um, like um, certain bands not being appreciated like at the time. Yeah, yeah, That's... like Big Star and the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed, you know. Yeah, that yeah, reminds big... me. Yeah, <laughs> Black Sabbath. It reminds me of Black Sabbath because I know in sixties, because I'm a massive Black Sabbath fan. Yeah, everybody like the critics hated them. Like Rolling Stone didn't yeah. like them. Billboard didn't like them. Melody yeah. didn't like them. Nobody liked them. 
But now they're like, well, I mean, just look at Ozzy Osbourne. He's one of the most famous men on the planet. Well, it's just weird. So it's like even like Led Zeppelin, the critics didn't like him, you know. And then later they kind of rewrote their Rolling Stone, went and rewrote all the reviews. It's like, I remember that they didn't like him. And suddenly they do well. And then 10 years, 20 years later, they start rewriting the reviews and they start giving them four or five stars. And they didn't give them that when they first came out. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just shows, no, doesn't it? Like, uh, I think everybody likes an underdog in some cases, but like with Led Zeppelin, there were, there were no doubt about it, no. I reckon that they were going to make it because they were just, you well, the know. Fans, the fans loved, but is it the critics, for some reason, didn't like, didn't think it was as impressive as what Yes was doing or Emerson Lake and Palmer was doing. They were always into this kind of heady music, right? And so... They were like, oh, well, they're doing this kind of cosmic, uh, you know, blues. Like, you know, they're taking taking the blues and taking rock and, you know, bluesman ideas and then throwing this kind of cosmic power on it. And then Jimmy Page yeah. is a great guitar player, picks great, great chord choices, you know, great structural choices. Yeah. And, and yeah. When he picks the song. And John Paul Jones is a great bass player, great keyboardist. John Bonham yeah. is an awesome drummer, power drummer. Um, and then Plant. Is doing stuff with his vocals with that kind of high range, you know. You get the, the axles of the road, roads of the world, you know, all cloning him, you know. Exactly. It, they were the perfect band. I mean, I, I remember because it was funny that we go on to Led Zeppelin because they were the band that got me into actually like taking music seriously, like actually learning songs because I just loved Jimmy Page. I was just like, oh, he's riff. For the great, the riffs are just they kind of rooted in the blues, but then he's got these interesting chord choices on the power chords and even on the you know the acoustic guitar stuff he did used to do. And it's just you know, they, his, he is a studio musician, he's a great musician, and he brought musicianship to that genre, you know. He brought the like the the the, the seriousness because if you listen to the Zeppelin songs, you look at you deconstruct them, you look at the parts, you're like, these things are great, you know. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah. You know, the choices they've made to make these songs are like, these are really well, um, you know, composed songs. And you're like, yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that there was like some disputes that, um, what were it, um, that they, they, they did steal some songs? And well, they, like... yeah, they, they, everybody steals something. But it's a matter of what oh, yeah. they, they actually didn't credit. I think the big yeah. problem with them compared to the Stones is Keith, you know, and the crew, they would they would credit where they got stuff from. And Paige made a mistake sometimes of not crediting. They would take it Robert Johnson or Lead Belly. And, you know, being an African-American, I'm kind of like, well, you know, we really should have gave due for that. Because I, yeah. I know he was listening to that stuff. That's where he got it, you know. But to not put it down, that's not cool. But, you know, I, I still appreciate the music. I have all the Zep albums. But I just think that he <laughs> yeah. should have pulled, you know, he should have done what Jagger and Keith did. Uh, in in actually crediting where they got stuff from, I think that was his mistake. But I mean, I mean, the thing is with well, it was it was less Jagger, but I, I know that the uh, the Rolling, I think it was uh, I forget the guy's name that were managing them at one point, but he managed the Beatles. Oh, well. Epstein, Epstein, yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, not, not not him. Um, another guy, but I think it was um, there was this song by the Verve that came out, weren't they called a uh, bit of Sweet Symphony? Oh, yeah, 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 they took that. They took a look yeah. to the part of it, yeah. 
Oof, yeah. It, that was the problem with sampling. Like sampling, you can get in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, 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 like if I if I need samples or anything, I I went out and I got myself this little like hand recorder thing. Oh, you field recordings. Yeah, field recordings probably the best way to do samples. Yeah. Uh, I've got like this really great sample where um, I was stood at the train station and I was just waiting for this train to come in, caught the announcement for it and um, I needed like the sound of like chattering, you know, loads of people talking, but I was like, right, we're in the middle of a pandemic, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Waited until lockdown lifted and just went to the nearest pub and just got all of that. But you can hear some people fighting on it, which wasn't good. But I got it. I got it. Uh, oh, I went a bit off topic there. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's. I think it, I, you know, I always tell people like I understand people they take samples and hip hop and rap is kind of necessary for the game. And you get guys like the Bomb Squad on Public Enemy. They create a great layering on samples. They're like De La Soul. They were like kings of using samplers because they did it in an artistic way. If you do what the Bomb Squad did or you do what De La Soul did, they were able to layer the samples in this kind of wall of sound. And they did it in such a way it's hard. It's not recognizable. It's not like Ice Ice Baby stealing like Bowie Queen. You know, it's, yeah. it's very unique take on taking that music. It's kind of like granular synthesis. Uh, and I, what I've always done is I, I like to resample my Moog. I'll just go take my Moog and sample that and then then slice mm. it up. Because then, then I don't have to pay anybody. I can just have my Moog create something and just resample it. So taking a synth and taking a, like an old Prophet 5 and resampling, you know, white noise or pink noise or blue noise off of it, you can do mm. a lot of cool stuff. Um, you don't have to like take somebody else, else's work. You can kind of sample your own work. Um, yeah. Uh, I have to make a new technique when people are kind of getting into it. <laughs> I mean, there's, um, there's, I don't know, like, if you listen to a, a lot of the genre, but there's this, that they inhabit, but there's this band that's British. They've really made a lot of waves over here uh, this year. And I know that they've got a bit of a following in America, but a band called Love, and they do a lot of that. Like, but, Oh, I'll have to send you a link to them sometime. Yeah, yeah, send me a link to that because I don't think I've heard it. That might be more, more like like local, but um, yeah. more like regional. But I'm always yeah. into listening to new stuff. That's all I do. You know. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very heavy, but it's like that. It's the production quality. There's just something like. Have you have you ever? I know it's. It might be an odd ball to throw, but have you ever like watched one of those Silent Hill films or played one of the video games? Oh yeah, I used to have them. My brother was the you know, he had he had yeah. to get me into that game, big time. Yeah, their aesthetic is very much like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so I, cool. I, I can get into that. That sounds cool. I have to send you some across at some point. But so yeah, so, so when you record, you're using are you using a DAW? Which DAW do you use? Um, I used Logic. Logic, okay, yeah, a lot of people like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, I, I used to use Cubase, and I, I learned how to do most of the stuff on Cubase, but then I... Uh, moved over. Yeah, moved over to Logic when I um, I, start, I was like an apprentice at a, a studio called Canal Works. 
mm-hmm. for a year. And the guy there called Dominic, he he used Logic, and he 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 you know he jumped over from like Pro Tools and stuff. He yeah. showed me, how to, and it's just it's so much easier than any other door that I've really used, if I'm honest. Yeah, a lot of people tell me that they, they like the workflow and logic that, you know, as a musician, you don't get caught up in a lot of stuff you don't need to get caught up into. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. it, it makes it it's like it's like a musician, musician, like, <laughs> doc, you know. Net, yeah. net, but I, I'm kind of like, I just, I like to use hardware, so I'm using, like, big Tascam and uh, Zoom twenty R24s and, and, and yeah. You know, old uh, old Fostex and stuff because I like that being able to punch in and punch out and just not have a grid and just go in and just overdub. And yeah. so I, I, that's where I live. That's where I started. I started on Fostex and Tascam like tape machines and yeah. I just like that feel because I can go and just do whatever and I don't have to worry about compression. Whatever I can get my synth to do, it will record. And so yeah. I don't have to worry about it getting lost I, mean, I do have to play it right but then it makes me play the song and learn the song <laughs> yeah no oh that's i mean that's the thing it's like when i was doing like into infinity the piano part that comes in that was harmonized I, I was sat there and i was like right there's no way anyone will ever actually be able to play this on a piano without someone else you know stood beside them because you've got to play bass notes the main yeah. melody, the harmonized melody on top. But I was like, but sod it, I'm going to learn it anyway and then play it in rather than program it just because, you know, I might meet a pretty girl one day and she might play a piano and she be like, just play those notes and make a pretty sound. I think it was interesting because I heard a story about like uh, Tommy and, and yeah. initially the Who was going to do tons of overdubs for Tommy, like what they did on Quadrophenia. But then they said, well, we want to be able to play it live. And so mm. since they wanted to play it live, they didn't do as many because they wanted to be able to replicate it with who they had. They didn't want to add extra musicians. And so yeah. that's kind of the place a lot of bands are in now. Is like they do so many overdubs. They got to run. They got to run something on the sequencer, you know, and, and then they're kind of locked into the groove. Yeah. They're like if they if they go out with all their backing tracks, they gotta like run all their backing tracks, and they're kind of locked into the groove to stay in sync with the backing tracks, and yeah. then then it becomes like less of a live performance, and it sounds more like the single, you know, it doesn't actually yeah. sound like I want to see a band play their song and actually do a variation, but when they're stuck on those backing tracks, then they can't do it as much. See, I'd rather, I'd rather, like, I mean, backing tracks don't always hurt a performance for me. But, like, I know, because my, um, my great-granddad, he was on, um, he, he used to, like, perform on Sheffield gigging circuit because he, he had a very operatic voice. Mm-hmm. But what they'd do was they'd get in, if they needed them, they'd get in actual performers to fill in the, you know, what they couldn't do at the time because obviously, no, maybe granddad, they didn't have the means we did. But like, I feel like if a backing track, if you're using backing tracks, as long as it doesn't take away from the actual, you know, live performance. It's yeah, good. I mean, I, there are ways to do it. You can do it yeah. in such a way where you can kind of mute and unmute tracks and still play stuff 
solos and stuff. It's just if you're locked in to like the length of the song and you can't like change it. You know, my whole thing is sometimes I had different versions of my song and then I made, you know, put the one out that I put out. But when I played live, I might go play version three instead of version four. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, if I'm, I'm locked in, yeah. the back and tracks are different. And so, like, I, I they're, they're not going to be the same. So it's going to come out different. And if somebody was waiting for me to do it the same way, it's like, well, I might not do it the same way. <laughs> yeah. But that's good, though, because it's like, um, that reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've heard of Dream Theater, but I, I imagine you will have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're, they're brilliant band. I mean, I don't like the guy who sings from his voice that much, but instrumentally, they're all... Yeah, um, sounds great. Yeah. But um, I, I remember, because I've seen them live twice, uh, I, I remember finding out while there, because a lot of Dream Theater fans, uh, you know, that, that go to gigs, there's a lot of them that follow them religiously. And apparently every night they do a gig... The set is different. It might be set small in like the teeniest way, mm-hmm. or they might throw an improvisation section into a song, mm-hmm. and you know they've got it pre-planned. But it's like, you know, if I was to go and see a band live, and they did stuff like that, and they still had you know backing tracks in, I wouldn't mind as much because I'd be like, what I'm seeing is spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like why I used to go see Parliament Funkadelic. Because they yeah. would go play like a twenty-minute version of Flashlight, you know, and it was like, and every night they're gonna do it different. They're like the Dead, you know, like the, if you see mm. bands like that, you see bands like Almond Brothers. I would go see the Almond Brothers, and they were like a jam band, you know. And there's like Dickie Betts and 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 some of these guys from Government Mule. And these guys would just go off and do these like cosmic blues solos. And every night, I mean, there's a bass structure to most of the Almond Strong songs, but they would go off into this kind of jazz rock yeah. band where they could just go off and yeah. they come back and it's like, like jazz bands do the same thing you know if you go listen you know to, to Miles Davis or Coltrane they would go off and then they come back yeah. and they go off and then they come back and that's kind of like the ability to be able to do that to me is like if the computer can allow you to do that that's cool but if it keeps you from doing it then it's not so cool <laughs> you see it's like from my time in like music school I can definitely say that, you know, like going off into wild, crazy stuff like that live, you know, improvisations and just changing it up, but keeping it together. It's that it just shows how good those guys were as musicians, if you ask me. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they were just like living that that kind of era where everybody's trying to, you know, everybody was trying to match Hendrix, trying to match Clap. They're all trying to live in the same zone. And so they're yeah. all kind of they're all fans of each other. They're all in this kind of musical kind of caravan. And they were just like, okay, well, they, I'm going to step up my game because I know, yeah. you know, Clapton's going to hear me or Jimmy Page is going to hear me and I want to blow him out. So I'm going to yeah. do this. And so it's like there was this thing where like you're not half step and you're trying to really kick kick ass, you know? <laughs> it's a, a game of like, uh, what is it? One upmanship, but really friendly. Yeah, they're all friendly. They all they all knew each other. They all hanging, you know. They all hanging together. But it's like you know, some of them is like wow, you know, like Dwayne Allman, like damn, it's like he's just going off, and and he was just so so powerful with the way he did like the slide with the bottle, and then he came yeah. up with something new, 
and everybody's like, damn, it's like, that, that's something new. And that's what's always cool in music when somebody finds something new, like when Hendrix is using his thumb to hold chords till he's left. Yeah. And that causes him to be able to do like, you know, chords and notes at the same time on the guitar. And you're like, damn, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, when somebody does something, the like Coltrane's doing the stuff he's doing, you know, you're like, wow, you know, that, that's why I listen to music when I want to hear somebody pushing, you know, pushing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's, it's what it is for me, really. It's like, I, I remember, um, I, I was listening to a lot of like prog rock back when I was like 15, 16. And, um, a friend of mine showed me a band called Tool. I don't oh, know yeah. if you know oh, Tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, man. Way to shatter my world view. That's all I'm going to say because, oh, they were just, they were just amazing. I mean, I'm not, not as into them now as I was, but I think they're a band where, again, like mentioning synths and like sound play in general, they really pushed it with that trippy vibe of theirs. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like you know like i'm I'm big time into steely dan just because of the mix they used to take Mo, motown session musicians and like jazz musicians and rock musicians and put them all in the same pot and yeah that, that's how you get like a steely dan it's because you get this precision from these great motown drummers like mm. in the, like motown drummers are like unbelievable because they yeah. show you why you don't want a drum machine because <laughs> yeah. they're like human drum machines it's like they could do so many cool things with percussion and to make it like seem simple, but it's not, you know, when you look at some of the stuff they used to do, they, the type of shuffles they would run on some of the Motown songs, they're so, somewhat complicated. And you're like, damn, there's like a lot of stuff going on, but it sounds real catchy. It has yeah. the hook, but it's like, it's not easy to play. You know, you're not, it'd be hard to find drummers today to match what these guys can do. And, um, yeah. That way. Yeah, and that's kind of like why, you know, I think musicianship and live playing, you know, the one thing about the COVID thing is like it's taken away that 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 chance for these type of musicians oh. to shine, you know, because that's yeah. where these guys really they they can they shine because they're able to go out there and play. You know, the guys who play the, yeah. the gigs, I feel sorry, you know, for that type of you know those guys, the guys, because they're really dependent on that. You know, they kind of live off of that. And you know, I'm a writing musician. I can I can stay in my room and write all day, and I can do do okay. But the guys who have yeah. to have to play live to survive, it's really been a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like how do I put it? I know um, I've got a friend who's in a band, and um, they they tour Europe quite a bit, and uh, they were going to put out an album uh, this year and uh, tour it, but I think. Obviously, due to um, stuff happening over here, regardless of the ongoing pandemic, because, you know, we've got Brexit as well. <laughs> Which, you know, in terms of passports and getting that all sorted, it becomes really expensive. Uh, they ended up having to, I think they've pushed back this album that they were going to do, uh, as well as they've pushed back the touring. But I can understand them not wanting to put out an album and not be able to tour it. You know, yeah, it's how we make money today. Like the way, second to some of the questions, like part of you know the cool thing today is I can find you on Spotify, I can find you, you know, on the Apple Music of the world, and and get to you in a way that you know back in the seventies or (laughs) you know I I only got what the record companies were pushing, you know, and um, 
that's kind of cool. But the the bad side of that is that it's hard to make money in this age unless you do, you know, merch or you do uh, sync licensing or you, you work with, you know, video game guys. You, you have to find all kinds of other ways to make money other than just the music. Yeah. I and mean, I think that's merch, really big road. <laughs> merch is a good way to go, I think. But it's like, but it's like you said, um, I reckon sync licensing is something to get into now more than ever, if I'm honest, from a, a business point of view. Oh, yeah. Because, because how do I put it? There are going to be so many shows that are greenlit after this pandemic's done, which, fingers crossed, touch wood, <laughs> hopefully will be soon. Um, yeah. yeah, you got to get yourself signed up with like your... your... Like I, I, I'm in a like a, a, a thing called Music Gateway, and they have all these yeah. pitches all the time, and I've done a bunch of them. And uh, you know, I, yeah. I did a trial with them. I did a free trial with them. Yeah, I just didn't. Uh, I didn't have the time really. I, I was like, I just want to put out stuff for Insidia. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's good to get into that because once you get into sync licensing, you know, like, like you, like you did that short film, but like once you do some films. Then all the film people start looking at you because yeah, like, oh, you you've done the formats and you know what to do, and so then mm-hmm. once you get into that, you do a couple of ads, and you get more ads. But once you get your foot in the door, then people find out that you're there, um, yeah. and yeah. so that's just uh, you know it's a new gig, you know, it, like and it's actually a better deal than me getting my U-Haul and driving to New York. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to pay the roadie. I got to stay in a hotel. <laughs> got to make sure people don't steal my gear. People want to yeah. stay camps, you know, it's like a big hassle. I mean, I love playing New York. Not to say I don't love it, but the New York situation of like having to watch your gear and watch your van. <laughs> you got a roadie watching the van, you got a roadie watching the gear, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky on that part because I don't I, I've never gigged in a big city. I think yeah. the uh I think the only city I've been in I've only been to uh, London, which is a really big city by like English standards. Uh, like what three times and only once of them one of them was for like a gig so I mean I love gigging but there's just so much overhead and there are people who are nefarious people who try to steal your amps oh yeah they'll try to steal your gear you know uh and then you know the promoters want to underpay you you got you know I had guys like counting how many people were coming in because we were getting paid by like the head count and you had these guys who were like (laughs) Saying that like you know there's only 250 people here and then my my roadie said I counted on my clicker 350. Yeah, so trying to undercut what they pay us, you know, and it's like come on, but that's that's the kind of stuff that goes on. And you're like, you know, that's one thing. Had, like now uh, I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I've never had all like that. I've, we, I had one incident in like the first proper band I was in where what were it we pushed we they only expected us to. <laughs> to sell like um, 50 something like that tickets I think there were only four of us uh, and we you know we were just I'd, I just joined band and completed the lineup again after they'd been out of action for some time and uh, I still don't know what happened to this day but the the common like thought amongst all of us was that someone had stolen most of the money that we'd made yeah, that's that's kind of common. <laughs> uh, it, it, but we reckoned it was the one within the band, and we still don't know if it was or not to this day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, like, but you yeah, it's, 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 everyone it's really, the industry is so tricky. You got to be careful because you know between like them putting things in the contracts where they oh, try yeah. yeah you try to take your masters or something and I make sure I, I own my master you know and, oh yeah yeah you just you just so much you know playing playing around trying to trying to give you a, a crappy <laughs> deal and you know it's just cool that we can we can kind of control how we present ourselves and get out there and I think you know from there then you have to be smart you know and figure out how to take advantage of your music um yeah. you know and get it out there to as many people and get it in different forms so people can get into it you know i think that's yeah. that's like what we have to do today but i mean <laughs> that what you, that what you said with the um the contracts that that reminds me of a very funny story actually um i think it was like i was getting ready to enroll for my first year at um college you know for music and they gave us all this contract and it had like 10 different things on it for you to read and then a, a thing to sign at the bottom. So we all read it and signed it at the bottom. And they said, didn't you ever think to turn page over? Uh, so we turned pages over and it just said, I agree to my soul now belonging to, you know, such and such college. Just some rubbish about signing all your soul. You know, like, that's why you always check every bit of the paper. And yeah. Everything else. And yeah. I was I like... Mean... Yeah, really, I mean, they're they're terrible stories in the music industry. Like, my my, my favorite artist, like George Clinton. Um, yeah, you know he he signed away his uh, his 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 um, royalties in the in the late seventies because he the record company came to him and he needed money to do the big tour for Funkadelic where they had the spaceship come down. You know, yeah, the, the, the whole thing, and they they basically made him sign this contract that took all his future royalties and gave him an upfront payment to pay for that tour. Yeah. Um, but then he lost the actual royalties. So he doesn't get any money from any of that parliament stuff. Yeah, he um, just got funding. He just totally ripped, you know, and it's like, you know, yeah. his lawyer, I don't know if he had a lawyer look at it, but it's like, that's the kind of classic problem that people run into. He's like, you know, you, 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 know, you gotta be careful when the record company Gives you the advance. <laughs> you might never get a check again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It, yeah. Well, the thing is that it's a good thing that we can we can be independent these days. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's the way we have to be. And, you know, and sometimes they, like you're like, okay, I want a label to help. But, the, you know, labels today don't do what they used to do. I mean, they used to give you tour support. They used to give you a really good A&R promotion. Where you know, unless you're on the top tier, it's hard to yeah. get any of those services. They don't really do it, you know. And so yeah. it's like you gotta look at like what are they actually giving you? You know, and if they're not really giving you anything, you might as well do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like at the same time though, I feel like it depends as well, like say what label you'd go to. I know that big label usually equals bad <laughs> from what I've learned. Yeah, so, smaller labels can be more like personal. You can get to talk to somebody, get to know somebody, you know, get somebody that actually does have your back, does send you roadies, does send you a sound guy, does yeah. send you a little van, lets you tour, you know, gets you into venues. You, know, yeah. you, know, you want somebody that can actually be a booking manager, 
you know, the, a, like an agent to get you booked on TV and radio and stuff, then you know they're really doing their job. You know, if, if right. it's a small label that does it, you know, it, a small label could do that better than the big label for some people, you know, where they actually yeah. care and they do it. You know, if they do it, then that's what you want. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, um, how do I put it? It's like, just because, you know, a big label is a big label and they've got a lot of budget doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to be better than, you know, the the label that's just branded small. Because that small yeah, label... A small label might be more willing for you to stay. <laughs> like, let's say you only can sell 50 to 100,000, right? You get on a big label, it's like, if you don't break 250, they'll drop you. Right. With a small label, they can actually live with you being at like this lower level and they can actually make money. And Mm. so it's like if you're a label like that, then you could have like a 10 year, 15 year career with them touring and doing all kinds of stuff. With the big label, they have this expectation that's unrealistic that you're going to somehow hit 250, 500,000, a million. It's like you're never going to really do that. So so that's not going to work. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I get you. It's like it's not only that, but like a smaller label's much more will will likely be more willing to take a risk on you, especially if it's a niche label. To so say like if it were, say, if I carried on doing more ambient stuff, if I ended up with an ambient label, they'd be more willing to take a risk on me than yeah, a big. Well, they got a market. Yeah, they've got the fans. <laughs> they know they've got the fans. They can send, sell your stuff to. They know they can get to your you know, base you know they they have a certain okay. base and they and they can sell to that base and they can get you you know into the scene you know they'll get you to the all the places in the ambient scene they know all the tour managers they know all the club managers they know all the people that's what you want you know you want somebody that knows that scene it's like the grunge scene with like sub sub pop in, yeah. in seattle yeah. sub pop like own that scene you know and they just they just were able to generate all those bands like Veronica just coming out of that scene. All those bands came out of that scene and yeah. they kind of, they controlled like a newsletter. They had like all this, like links to press. They had links to overseas press. They had all this stuff and it worked. And it was a niche, you know, grunge was a niche, but it, they, they, they were able to make it work, you know, that's what uh, you yeah. want. And they were able to push it to mainstream after a while too, which I mean, it just shows, you know, yeah, if you believe in something, you can get it to go beyond your regional area. You know, you can get like you know, band like the Clash. You know, goes way beyond London. You know, becomes yeah. like a movement. You know, you know, like Nirvana went beyond Seattle like the same way. You're like, damn, you know, they would like they kind of yeah. had that same kind of effect. Yeah, I get you on that. I mean, it's like what was it? Um, I think it's like Queen, for example, they were quite you know, niche with, like, Bohemian Raps. They didn't want to play that on stations, did they, at first? No, no, because it's too long. I mean, they they wanted to cut cut it down. One of those things, like, Hotel California was supposed to get cut down. That didn't get... Now, sometimes they, they, the record companies don't know, and and because of the past, it's like, oh, it's got to be three minutes. It's like, no, yeah. sometimes it can be seven or eight minutes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you, you wouldn't cut Hotel California down to three minutes, would you? No, you can't. It's like the Eagles kind of were able to take the money they had made and kind of say, no, we're not cutting it down. And they tried to make them cut. I saw it like a documentary. They really tried to get them to cut it. And they're like, no, it's not getting cut. And 
And then they were like, the director coming out later, oh, wow, that was a good, that was a good decision. I went, that's not your decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing is, I'm grateful that that song didn't get cut down because we wouldn't have got that blissful guitar solo. Yeah, even like Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, they, they didn't know what to do with it, but luckily Queen made a film. They made like a music video. The music video is what saved the song because when they did the music video, you had to show it. And then suddenly yeah. because it was getting shown, it then got put on the radio because like people wanted to hear the whole thing. And so because they did the video, it, it kept it, you know, from being cut. And so that that's, that's kind of a cool thing, but it's like, you know, Today you're like, where where are the people trying to take that risk? You know, you don't see people. I guess on YouTube people try to do it, but people are still kind of building for the three minute song. You know, and yeah. you gotta get gotta get an artist that feels like I don't care, the work deserves it, and then you'll see it happen again. You know. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, it's like um, I, I I know that there's a lot of like especially in like England, there's a lot of like prog rock bands, like grassroots levels. But mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like if there's any scene in England that would do something like that, it'd be them guys. Yeah, if this guy get one breakthrough. You gotta get one song where they suddenly get a video, it goes viral and suddenly like everybody starts looking at it and boom, you'll get it. You know, you'll get yeah. the thing about the industry, once you get one guy that does it, they'll clone it for like two years. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at Ed Sheeran, man. <laughs> look what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, ground's kind of swept from the un- beneath his feet, though. Uh, yeah, like... this the clones kind of kill it, though. They don't seem to realize you take that one thing that worked and then make a thousand versions of it. You're gonna kill it like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's like it's like a good joke, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a good joke. You can say it once; it's funny. Someone else can say it another time to you. It's like, yeah, humor's still there, but by the the fifth time you've heard it, you're like, you, you've killed this joke. Yeah, you're done with it. That's where people started, like, <laughs> I'm done with this one because I don't want to keep on hearing that beat. You know, I'm done. It, it, you know, it's a kind of rebellion against it, you know, even though now people love it again, but it's like people just like, they went too crazy using the same beats, you know, kind of like yeah. EDM. I always tell people, like, in EDM, like, you're going to go down like disco if you keep on doing that drop in the same place, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you... go on. <laughs> no, no, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I found uh, this, this this Scottish band recently called Churches, and they're like EDM. This, they've got a very strong 80s vibe to them. Oh, yeah, they got that new wave vibe because they're using like Juno. They're actually using real... They're yeah. using like Prophets and Junos and Moogs. They're using like the hardware synths from the 80s. So they mm-hmm. sound like the 80s because they're actually using 80s synths. Exactly. <laughs> then they know how to play them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the only band that I've recently shown my mother. And she's been like, I like them. And I was like, right, they've got to be classed as 80s then. <laughs> they've got to be. Yeah, they got those vintage synths actually makes their sound. You know, the fact that they're yeah. running like a Juno 106 and they're using mini Moogs. You know, it's kind of like you want to sound like Duran Duran. If you want to sound <laughs> like Flock of Seagulls, you kind of got to use what they were using. Yeah. Um, you know, in order to, or the human league, like, that sound, you know, but I kind of tend toward like Depeche Mode and New Order and Joy Division and The Cure. That's kind of where I'm echoing a bunny man. That's kind of where my head's at. But 
Yeah, mm. other, other people couldn't get into it. I, I kinda, I'm a deep 80s guy. I mean, I was into like all those bands. Like, yeah. bands you probably won't even know. But no. <laughs> well, that's um, fair enough. I'm always willing to, to find some bands to listen to, mate. Yeah, it's just like some of those bands back then, it was just, there was just a time where people were just willing to experiment and, and willing to like let people go out there and do something different. Yeah. You know, there's like the less, less, less um, will to do that. You know, it's like underground music is always there. You know, you got the sound clouds in the world, you got YouTube, you got yeah. all these other, other ways for people to get out. And, you know, I, I like to, with this show, I just like to use Instagram. I mean, because so many musicians are on Instagram. And oh, I, yeah. I, I kind of troll Instagram looking for bands. You know, I just look for bands all day. And you know, band, it like really touches my ear. Then I say, well, you know, I'm going to bring them on. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I, I have to agree with you on Instagram being flooded with musicians. There's that. I, I've only got like, what, 270, like, eight, 280 like, people that I follow, but they, they, still, they're all musicians, and there's just too many for me to listen to all of them's releases. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes feel really bad about it, but then I remember that, like, <laughs> you know. They probably yeah. don't have the time to listen to mine most of the time. And I'm like, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but it's just a great platform. I find it more useful than YouTube or Facebook for yeah. actually finding new artists. You know, I, I for the last two years, almost, I would say 95% of my guests come from me going on Instagram and yeah. basically saying I like somebody's work and then telling them, hey, I got a podcast. You want to be on it? And I, I end up not having to talk to their agent. I mean, I've talked to some people that are pretty big, and mm. I don't even have to talk to their agent. I am able to directly talk to them, and I think that's refreshing to be able to kind of get past the agent and talk to the artist directly, which, you know, yeah. some people don't let you do that. But most of the people I've been able to talk to, I've been able to do that, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I've never had to deal with any agents or like that myself, look away. I mean... Well, they end up being a roadblock. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> sent me to an agent, then it takes like three weeks to get it done when it could have got done in like a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only time uh, I've had to deal with an agent was with, um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like this YouTube music tutor called uh, Damien Keys. Oh, yeah, I know. I know him. Yeah, yeah I, had, I ended up Skyping him, having an actual Skype talk with him to ask him some questions while I was doing a, a an assignment on professionalism that was fun i didn't know what to do i was just starstruck and nearly <laughs> yeah it's interesting i mean it's, it, it's cool i mean some people got to have an agent because that's what they want but it's like yeah. when you're able to talk to somebody directly it just is like it just makes it work faster you know it's like if i have yeah. to go through an agent it makes me go through all this stuff and they're gonna Gotta fill out a questionnaire. They want to do this. We want to look at this. and want to see my stats. They want to see. Okay, fine. You know that's cool. But then now yeah. you turn it into something that's not fun. <laughs> as soon as no. you make it not fun, then I'm like, maybe I. Can I'm a musician too. It's like if you make me take too much time on this, maybe I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Oh, that's relatable as hell. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like because I'm doing this like on top of my music. They give myself a way to connect to other musicians, but if you make it not fun, then I might not do it. <laughs> yeah, 
It is, oh, I can't even describe how much of a mood that is. But yeah, I mean, I've had it before where it's like I've wanted to collab with an artist and um, it's just ended up taking far too long to actually get them to come back to me. And I'm just going, yeah. you know what, sorry, it's going out as an instrumental. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, because if you take too long to do it, like, I, I did something kind of like what you did with Regina Faye. Um, I had this uh, really good uh, collaboration with this like musician that actually was an actor. She's yeah. an actor. And um, she let, you know, typical of most actors, right? Most actors want to be musicians. Look at like Johnny Depp, right? Oh, so, yeah. so, 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 but they, they're like, they're not that, they're not able to be as successful in music as they are in film. And so yeah. I was able to take this actress and she does like overdubs for cartoons. She does like horror movies. She does all this stuff. And, um, and then she wanted to do, do an album. And we did like this thing with Skype and we, we were, you know, exchanging files. She was using like FL studio. I'm doing my hardware studio. And we had a really good collaboration and we never yeah. met. We never physically met. We never even, you know, ever got to do a show together. We just did this album <laughs> And it was a really good experience. And it's like, it was just because there was a good vibe. We didn't go through managers. We just had a good connection. And, you know, there's nothing like that when you actually have a connection and they're not making you wait and they're actually excited to do it. Then you yeah. kind of know you got the right project and somebody like really wants to be be there. You know, they're, they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter if, like, it's like with, with me and Reggie, you know, I know that I don't, I don't even remember whereabouts. She lives in the UK. That's how that's how like long it's been, but um, like I don't know, it it were it was just really easy because we were both very excited, and you know, obviously if you're both excited, you're putting that work together. Well, yeah, don't you? you're both like in in sync. You know, it's kind of like artistically when you have a band, right? And yeah, you, you get a drummer and you get a bass player, you get the whole group together. And, you know, you know, you got the right band when they're like, you don't got to tell them nothing, right? You know, yeah. if you just start playing a note, the drummer starts playing something in the bass player. And then suddenly, like, most of the time it's good. And you're, <laughs> like, you're like, wow, I don't have to even change it, you know. Then you later you get, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to talk to each other. But when you know that you guys are kind of in the same zone, then you're like, damn, that, that's what you want, you know, as a musician when you're kind of like you're locked in. And the bass player's locked into you, you know, you're like, wow. Yeah. Kind of you don't gotta tell them where you're going, they kinda know where you're going. And it's like that there's nothing like that. That's awesome. I've I mean I've I've been in a few bands and I've never had a moment like that. But I have Yeah, it's cool if you get to have that because it's like that's one of the cool things when you get in in a full band and it's really cool. I I mean, I think the the thing for me, the reason why I how do I put it, it's like when I write Say if I go into say a jam, I'll I'll always go in with um something pre-planned like composition-wise because I think there's two types of composers. There are those that jam it, and there are those that plan it out and you know say oh we're gonna do a a key change here, move it to a certain you know maybe you know a certain type of shuffle. I'm I'm one of those where it's like I've I've got to have some sort of plan some sort of chord progression that I'm following. I've, I've never had something where I've just hit, like come out with a riff and drummer's next to it. Bassist has done a killer bass line. 
you know. Yeah, I guess it's like I'm in my 50s and I had a lot of bands in my 20s where we kind of were into that because we're kind of like jazz oriented. Yeah. Um, we, you know, I might come in with a, like a chord progression, mm-hmm. you know, and I come in with it and I'll start coming to keyboards. So I, I might have like a structure and I'll have it and but I'm willing to, to change it. And so so like I'll come into it and I had a rhythm idea, but then the drummer comes in and he's like better at doing it than my than my 808. <laughs> so, so then it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, I might have an idea for the symbols on my airway, but he's going to do it more natural than me. So I'm going to kind of like, well, he has a kind of idea, and then you just you let him kind of flow with it, and that's that, you know. So you come in with some preconceived ideas, but a lot, well, a lot of it's like, okay, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that this guy's a bass player, mm. and he's going to he's going to take my bass hand. And he's gonna hear what I'm doing, and then he's gonna like, okay, I can, I can actually work with that and make something better. Yeah. Um, and that's what's really cool in that type of collaboration. So you have a little bit of planning, but a lot of like openness, you know. Yeah, I feel like, it's, kind of like it, it's it's done like with how it is with most music. No, I get it's just through iteration, and obviously, if you're passing an idea around four people, it's gonna get iterated on very quickly. Yeah, it's just you get this feel, and some people have a better feel together than others. You know, some people are just like, that's the right guy for that group. You know, like Ringo compared to Pete Best. You know, yeah. Ringo was the better guy. <laughs> you know, that was going to work. Um, so, so you just sometimes you get a guy who's like, he's in tune, he's actually doing it the way you need it to get done. And, um, and it's, it's hard to tell you. It's like, it's like a chemistry, you know, it's like a relationship chemistry that happens. In, and yeah. a musical group. Uh, relationship chemistry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your bands can be just as bad as your as your significant other. You I know? wouldn't know. I've not had eye for in a while. Way. <laughs> you can have a problem. <laughs> your bandmates can. You can have like a love hate situation with your bandmates, and you're like, damn. To be fair, when I start when I started this project off. It was almost like the other band that I were in for. I were, they were like a cheat. They were like a girlfriend that thought I was cheating on them. Yeah, it can feel like that, you know. <laughs> you get with a band, and then suddenly you start working with somebody else. People get jealous, or you say you want to do this, and then they don't want to do it, and they want to do the same thing they've been doing for the last ten shows. And you want to change it up, and then suddenly they don't want to change it. And everybody gets, you know, people start getting mad, having fights. It, it's just, it's just a, it's a whole different level. Yeah. And you're like, damn, it's like I gotta deal with all these personalities. <laughs> oh man, you know? oh man, I, 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 I'll tell you what. If the, if, if the that happened to me with, with, I, I'd be, oh god, you know what? <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> I don't even want to remember. <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, you, you want it to not be a big problem, you know, yeah. but. Sometimes it's like no matter what, eventually you hit that place where it becomes a problem. You have this kind of like you know sunshine stage where everything's great, the honeymoon, and then you get to this you get to the stage where it's like midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes dark. It's done. <laughs> That's it. You're going to bed and you're not going to talk out your issues before. It's and... done. It's done. It's like no talking. Like, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh god. <laughs> No, because that's what that's what happened. <laughs> it, it was literally it, what were it? It was like that overly attached girlfriend that you know sees that you're hanging with a friend, 
and is immediately like, "Please, <laughs> for you," and you're like, "No, it's not like that, babe. <laughs> Please." <laughs> you dump your ass right there and then. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been great talking to you. This has been a little extended show, but uh, yeah, I, I I love uh, the fact that you're doing this kind of progressive concept oriented music. It's like instrumental, and you're collaborating. And I'd love to hear that project that you haven't been able to release because of COVID. You know, once you get that out there. Yeah. Uh, if anything else you put out as a project, let us know. We always have people come back on the show. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to come back on sometime. Yeah, great. Right. Well, I hope you have a great day. It's like uh, it's one thirty-two here in northeast of the U.S. And uh, I hope you're having a good time where you are. And stay safe and happy holidays. If I don't talk to you again, no worries. You too. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. <laughs>